Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. We've got a terrific guest today. He's Jay Delaney of Trimble, talking about current trends in transportation management systems. He's the company's senior director of product management and enterprise portfolio manager. And he's going to talk about what features are getting added to TMS systems today and what customers are demanding. Usually at the start of the show, I say something to the effect that we call the podcast Drilling Deep because we talk about oil. And I note that you have to drill for oil, so that's why it's called Drilling Deep. This week, we're going to talk about something kind of like oil, but about an aspect of it where you don't have to drill. I'm talking about renewable diesel, a product that many companies are pouring lots of money into its development. But we're also going to talk about a snag that it recently hit. Renewable diesel is not biodiesel. Biodiesel is a blend stock, meaning that it can be blended into existing diesel as part of an effort to cut down on the number of carbon-emitting petroleum molecules in the final product. Ethanol is the same thing for gasoline. It usually works fine, but if you put too much of biodiesel in the finished diesel product and it gets real cold, the biodiesel can have flow difficulties. It happens with regular diesel too, but it can get a lot worse with biodiesel. You don't need a lot of processing to make biodiesel blend stock. Sometimes the biodiesel blend can be as much as 20% of the finished product, but other times it's a lot less. Here's a number you can't go up to, 100%. You cannot just pour biodiesel into a diesel engine and have it operate normally. You'd have major problems. That's not the case with renewable diesel. Renewable diesel is a one-for-one substitution with existing diesel. The process to make renewable diesel is far more complex than making biodiesel, The renewable diesel process is a refining process. It usually gets done at facilities at a refinery that has been modified. At Phillips 66, just about a year ago, they announced they were shutting down a refinery in California known as Rodeo, and they ended traditional oil processing. But at the same time, they're building facilities to turn part of Rodeo into a renewable diesel facility, even though it's going to produce a lot less finished product than the full refinery. The gap is enormous. The fact that they're doing it in California is not coincidence. The Golden State has multiple carbon reduction incentives in place that generate credits that can be sold. If a gallon of renewable diesel is made in California and sold there to a company that needs to hit its low carbon requirements by buying these credits, it can then then the producer of the renewable diesel will generate a credit and then that can be sold. If they do a lot of it, and the price of the credits is strong because they do fluctuate up and down, that can be extremely profitable. There are federal credits too. One thing about oil economics is that the price of crude and products are linked in a way that they never get totally out of whack with each other. If the price of the products made from crude gets too low relative to crude, a refinery will buy less crude since it's less profitable to make those products. Then that, But then that tightens up the supply of the product, the price of that goes up, and now it makes sense again to buy crude and make products. It works in reverse, too, when crude gets too high or too low. But when you're talking about renewable diesel or biodiesel, the issue is that the feedstocks to make it are agricultural products or products derived from agriculture. So the grease that a restaurant captures from its fryers is a feedstock. Soybeans are a feedstock. Animal fats are a feedstock. And yes, you can argue that the push for renewable diesel has gotten strong enough that markets for things like soybeans are suddenly going to be influenced by oil markets as well. This is a new phenomenon that traders will need to learn to deal with. But still, it's not enough that the normal snapback you see in oil is going to be there. With oil, if the price of gasoline and diesel get too high, it will incentivize refiners to make lots of it, and then the price of the products is pushed lower. 
But the economic activities that provide the feedstock for renewable diesel are always going to be bigger than diesel itself. Soybeans are going to be used mostly to feed cows and pigs. Restaurant grease supply is going to be a function of people going out to dinner, and so on. So it was notable that earlier this month, a refining company called CVR said it was halting plans to convert equipment at an Oklahoma refinery and produce about 7,000. It was halting plans to convert that equipment. That equipment was going to produce about 7,000 barrels per day of renewable diesel. The CEO of the company, David Lamp, issued the following statement. Renewable diesel feedstock prices have increased considerably, particularly for refined, bleached, and deodorized soybean oil to a level where the economics do not make sense for us to complete the conversion at this time. This shows how remarkably different making diesel from crude oil and making diesel from feedstocks can be. Refinery plants don't get scrapped because suddenly there isn't enough crude oil or the price is too high. The assumption is that the oil markets are such that they will always incentivize crude production to make products, but that's not the case with renewable diesel. The market for the feedstocks can get impacted by so many other factors that the normal realignment of prices that takes place between crude oil on the one hand and products on the other isn't necessarily going to take place with the price between something like soybean oil and the price of renewable diesel. That's what you saw happen with this delayed project in Oklahoma. Now, there's another factor, the credits you get from making this stuff. That's a big part of the economics of renewable diesel products. So just think how tough the feedstock market is for renewable diesel in that a company like CVR looked over the economics of their project and they decided not to proceed even with the impact of the credits it would generate. A lot of times the credits are so great that they'll put you over the top even if the economics of turning something like soybean oil into renewable diesel aren't great. You tack on the credits on top of that, you got yourself a nice operation. The numbers on renewable diesel as a factor in the diesel market aren't that big yet, but they could be. But you've got to remember that the rising value of that yucky stuff sitting in a grease trap at your local pizzeria is going to matter in how big of a role it plays in the renewable diesel market. We're going to pivot now on Drilling Deep, as we always do at about this time. We're going to be joined by our guest of the week. He's Jay Delaney. He's the Senior Director of Product Management for Trimble's Enterprise Business. Trimble operates one of the largest transportation management system services in the trucking business, obviously known as TMS, uh, TMS Systems, and he's here to talk with Drilling Deep about the state of that business. So, Jay, you're at the head of that business. Uh, how are things going? Why don't you first talk about what Trimble does? You know, Trimble is a company that certainly the trucking business knows, but you've got a lot of other things, too. So where does what you do with TMS fit in with the whole Trimble world? Well, great, John. Thank you for uh, you know, having me here. I appreciate that. Uh, Trimble's been in the uh, transportation business for several many years. Started with the acquisition that we had with our, our TMW products and our PeopleNet products. Uh, we also have we also acquired Matt, our our ALK product offering, our Vision, and most recently our Cubix uh, product offering a uh, year and a half ago. So we've been really involved. Uh, Trimble also has um, business interests in both agricultural construction. Um, management. So they. this is just an, another piece to the Trimble ecosystem where Trimble's um, vision is to change the way the world works. And this and transportation is a big piece of that. Yeah, I'm going to bring you back to Cubics toward the end of the interview because I wrote the story when it happened. Yeah, so I'd like, sure. <laughs> I want to get an update on how that is. 
So let's talk about um, the, the Trimble TMS system and let's talk about TMS in general. I mean, you, there are companies out there with 10 trucks, five trucks, 10 trucks, and then there are companies out there with thousands of trucks. Mm -hmm. And then you have brokers that have, you know, three people, three desks sitting around in an office or maybe on their own. And then you have broke, you know, and you have brokerage companies with, you know, hundreds of brokers. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me you've got to be able to customize a TMS offering in all these various different ways. This is certainly not a business that one size fits all. So where do we go in terms of, you know, what are the smallest offerings in TMS and what are some of the biggest offerings? What are the smallest offerings to the, the bare minimum versus what are the largest ones? What are some of the features that they do? Sure. Well, you know, when I think about, you know, managing the, the different sizes of our customers, it's not just the size, it's the work that they do. Because a lot of our customers are, are in various parts of transportation. You mentioned brokerage, but there's various types of, of asset-based transportation too. There's LTL, there's multi-stop, there's private fleets, there's, over, there's long haul, there's regional, there's bulk, uh, there's energy, you know, fuel haulers. All of these companies, they all have different business needs as well. So it's not just the size of the company. It's the type of company and type and, and how and how they operate. You mentioned brokerage and you're absolutely right. There's brokers that are, you know, I like to describe them as the Chicago style brokerage houses, which are the, you know, as you mentioned, a bunch of people in, a, in an office making phone calls and calling shippers. And that's that is a very very much a part of brokerage today. But there's also brokers that are that are that are working with uh, asset based uh, shippers as well I and mean, carriers as well. So you've got brokerage where maybe it's another uh, extension of an asset-based carrier where they're trying to manage the, the ebbs and flows of the economic forces that exist. So there's all kinds of different needs. Some and there are some brokers that are you know they're asset-based carriers that look at brokerage as a way to fill their backhauls. So you know it depends on depends on the business. Um, so it's not just the size. Now from a size perspective, I think the larger shipper, the larger carriers, I should say, excuse me. Um, where I see the differences just in complexity of business rules and business logic, um, they have a, oftentimes they have their own IT staffs, so they want um, ability to um, um, take take the product that we our TMS product and enhance it or integrate with it in different ways outside what the basic product offering does. So I, APIs and the ability to integrate to those to those TMSs is really important for the larger accounts. Um, smaller accounts, they want things done for them. They don't have a big IT staff. So they want, you know, so like a more complete product offering with that requires less management, less IT staff to operate, seems to be something that's more attractive to the smaller accounts. I see you've got to really carve out, not just, I shouldn't say carve out, you really have to offer. I, I, I wonder if there's two customers out there who have the same offerings uh, or everybody's got something a little bit different than everybody else. Would, would that be a fair statement? I think just about every implementation we've done and we've done well over 2000, you know, customers has been somewhat of a slightly variation of a theme. I don't know that we have actually two customers that have done the exact same thing. Um, and because of that, you have to have a, you have to have a product that is very configurable, very flexible in how it operates. And it's in that configuration and flexibility that you get the ability to service all those accounts. 
So when I was looking back at some FreightWave stories about Trimble's TMS system, I came upon one from last year, and it was about new offerings on your system, mm -hmm. uh, the TMT Service Center, the TMT Fleet Maintenance and TMT Service Center. And, and you know, I've heard reference to the whole idea of app overload, the idea that particularly for a driver, all, all these offerings, hey, put this on your on your phone and this will be make your life a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, are you constantly having to figure out, okay, well, we'll put this service on our TMS, but not that one. It doesn't meet up to our standards. Is that a lot of part of the, of the, um, of your business, uh, the Trimble business where you're figuring out what to add and what not to add. You must get ideas thrown at you constantly. Yeah, we do get lots of I, you know, uh, requests, um, Sometimes you'd be more forcefully other than request demands, if you will. Um, but the but you're right. We do get an awful lot of those coming in. I think the the thing for us from a product perspective is to understand a what is the business impact, the business opportunity, the ROI that may exist for that customer, and then are other customers also potentially impacted, and can we do something that is as you said. You know, we don't want to have a you know single solution for just one account. We'd like to find opportunities to provide value that has more and more um, applicability across more and more of our customers. So the way that we do that is, you know, we ask certain questions. We ask questions around um, applicability, um, value, um, expandability, extensibility to help us understand, is this something that we can do and make, you know, make more of our customers' lives happier or better with than say something that maybe only affects one or two customers. And if we do, then, hey, that's going to get a higher priority for us because we're going to be able to, you know, as Trimble's um, statements is we want to change the way the world works. The more we customers, we can change the way the world works in a, in a positive manner, the better off we're going to be. What are some of the recent trends in uh, TMS systems in terms of new applications that are being added? What are functions and services that you're able to provide now that maybe five years ago weren't out there? What are the things that are making you excited? Well, there's, we've been doing a lot of things across the board. Um, I, I think the one area that we've been spending a lot of time in is in our procurement area, um, trying to really look at the whole process from bidding all the way to the billing process. So look at the entire life cycle from bid to bill and figure out you know, we have a really good execution side from the time the order comes in, but what about the getting the order in, the, the procurement side, knowing who the cut right customers are to work with as a carrier, um, how they fit your network. So that kind of work, we've been spending a lot of time going upstream into that process to really drive more efficiencies in the procurement piece. I guess, so I think there's a lot of work we've done there. Um, another area we've done a lot of work is integrations. We know that the world is becoming much more highly integrated. We need to continue that. TMSs have to be, you know, the, the, I call it the glue that which all data transfers back and forth for a trucking company or a transportation carrier. So we need to make sure that we, 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 we extend our integration capability uh, much more robustly than we have in the past. So we spent a lot of money and a lot of energy and a lot of investment there. The other areas that I would say that you know, we're, Moving to a cloud, um, you know, infrastructure, cloud architecture. So, getting our customers on our on their cloud offering is something that we spend a lot of time in. And lastly, adding machine learning. Um, we've been doing a lot of intelligence machine learning. We've just recently released our optimization solution, our Trimble Dispatch Advisor. We've released our True ETA product. 
that allows you to understand, you know, when when the when much more intelligently when the driver is going to arrive, and automating those processes together so that now you can dispatch, take the true ETA data in your in your Trimble Dispatch Advisor product to really come up with really excellent um, optimization and utilization solutions. So we do a lot, those kind of awful lot, obviously. Those kinds of offerings, the the technology for developing them, are you developing them in-house or are you partnering with companies that are in AI and machine learning outside? Uh, Well, we're we're leveraging some some partners um, that we've um, been using. Microsoft's been a big partner of ours for a long time to help us. But uh, most of the actual engineering work is done in-house. It is. Okay. Very. I mean, how big is your staff of technology people? Uh, Several hundred. Several hundred. Okay, very good. Um, let me ask you, uh, you, you talked about the move to the cloud. Uh, it seems to me that that's uh, such a logical move. Mm-hmm. Number one, do any companies resist or is, is the only thing holding back the pace of it is that there's only so many hours in a day and so many people to get the work done? Well, you know, there are, there are always going to be in any kind of technology change, some early adopters, and then some, some fast followers, some laggards, and then some people that made may never want to you know accept the technology and i don't think we have there's any difference in the SaaS world we have some customers that are are pushing us heavily to that direction then there are some customers that are telling us we have no interest in moving to a SaaS environment and everything in between so um so i don't see that as anything unusual or anything different there but i think the opportunities that exist in a cloud a SaaS environment um, where we can leverage the information to provide more meaningful information to our customers, information they can't get to themselves, um, I think is really um, powerful. And I think that alone will, will attract a large number of our, our customer base to that, to that uh, future state. Yeah. It seems to me I can't talk, yeah, hard for me to understand why anybody would resist. Let's talk about Cubics because I went back while you were talking here and uh, I found the story that I wrote on January 9th of 2020, mm-hmm. right before the world changed, changed forever. Yep. <laughs> and uh, this was, you know, uh, it, it was a privately held TMS system, Cubix, K U E B I X. And uh, what were your plans at the time and how are they going? Well, um, I think the, the plans. Um, simply was to connect the supply chain um, from the shipper, the carrier, and, to, and the intermediary all together, and to and to use. We didn't have a shipper presence uh, within within Trimble Transportation, so we had the we had the we had the intermediaries and we had the carrier presence, but we didn't have the shipper presence. By our acquiring Cubics, now we have the shipper presence, and we can connect all three together. And it's in that connecting of all three together that we think there's tremendous opportunities to improve the global supply chain. So when you think of, and of course, the Cubics platform gives us a a cloud platform that we, it it helps us to accelerate our moving to the cloud platform with our intermediaries and and, and, uh, asset-based carriers. Yeah, looking over what what, uh, what we wrote at the time, uh, that that brought you twenty one thousand shipping companies, and I, you know, there's always that question of buy versus build when a company wants to grow. Mm-hmm. I would imagine for you to go out and get twenty one thousand customers on the shipping side organically would have been rather rather difficult. So you make the decision to buy. Well, yeah, not only difficult but very lengthy, and uh, you know, yeah. it, it it speeds the process. It, it and you know we, we have well over a million assets that we manage on the asset side. 
So when you combine those million plus assets with the twenty thousand, and then and it's much higher than that today. I I don't I don't even know if I can even um, allowed to say how many thousands, but it's much higher than that on the shipper side. Once we connect those two together, think about as a carrier now having access to, and let's say it was just twenty two thousand. I know it's more than that, but let's say it was just twenty two thousand. Imagine having access to twenty two thousand new customers that you didn't have access to before. And if you're a shipper, imagine having access to a million plus capacity units that you didn't have access to before. That's the advantage of us having all these two components together so that now both the shipper shipper can get access to the capacity that they need and also the carrier can get access to demand that fits their network. And that's the key. You got to find the, the, the carrier's got to find capacity that fits their network because they don't want to drive someplace that's going to take them hundreds of miles of, of, of backhaul to get back, drive back to where they need to be. You want to find that capacity, that demand. That fits your network. Well, this now gives you now 22,000 shippers worth of demand demand that can fit your network. And our ability to combine those together to show the carrier all the capabilities and all the demand that's out there that they had it wasn't even aware of, combined with the shipper's ability to now have access to capacity that they hadn't had, they didn't have access to before, we think is very quite compelling. Um, it was a big deal when you did it. Is it part of a trend of consolidation in the TMS business or is this an industry headed toward a handful of big players or does it remain fairly fragmented? I still think we haven't seen the level of consolidation that I think is inevitable. I think we've seen some so far. Um, you know, Uber Freight and Transplace was a most, is a recent example of that. Um, but I think there's going to be more. Um, and will the... How it will end, uh, if I was a, uh, if I could predict all of that, I'd be rich. I would, I would be a very, very wealthy individual if I could accurately predict those kind of futures. But um, I do see that there's going to continue. I do believe there's going to be some continuation here. How many will be in the end? How whether it's just a, a handful? I, I don't know. I don't know yet. There's been a tremendous amount of investment put into this space. Um, so I think it's inevitable that there'll be some more additional consolidation, but I don't know that where the end is going to be. So where's the growth opportunity right now? In years ago, it would probably come from laggards not having a TMS system. I would imagine that universe has shrunk pretty significantly. If you're not operating a TMS system, you're just going to be kind of lost today. Um, and uh, even if there are people out there like that, it can't be a great opportunity. So where do you go to for growth besides just stealing, I hate to say stealing, but you know, gra grabbing other customers from your competitors? Well, there there is growth internationally. Um, I think there's a big opportunity in the international arena. Um, and also in domestically, I, I think there's opportunities to, again, if if we match up the shipper, the carrier, and an inter intermediary and provide those kinds of services that they didn't have access to before, there's, there's growth opportunities there for us as well. Okay. And, and finally, uh, I, I think there is going to be some ability to go up or down market for some, some TMSs as they continue to expand their, their product offering. There's going to be some that are going to go down market, some that will go up market. Um, and then, like I said, there's, a, there's always international growth as, as well. Yeah, given the, given the needs of the market today, you just kind of wonder why anybody would go down market. But you can certainly see, imagine somebody, a carrier or a shipper saying, OK, I've got a TMS system now that on a level of complexity from one to 10 is only a four. 
but the needs of our growing business mean we really have to ramp it up to a six or a seven or probably not a 10, but uh, that would be an opportunity too, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't, don't discount the need to go potentially down market. Um, larger, larger TMSs that serve a large, medium to large accounts. Um, there are an awful lot of smaller uh, carriers out there um, that would be, you know, a good fit for a for a, a provider that wants to connect shippers and carriers together. All right, so you brought it up. Let me ask you, what was uh, your reaction to the big Uber freight deal? Well, I, I think it's inevitable. I think you're going to see more of those um, types of uh, mergers where, I, where again, shippers and carriers being brought closer together, I think is just the future where we're going to be going. And we're obviously we, we're leading that charge with our acquisition with Cubics, but others are going to follow as well. I'm not at all surprised by that. All right. We want to thank Jay Delaney for joining us here today on uh, on Drilling Deep. Jay, you, perfect interview. I really wanted to get an update on the TMS world, and I appreciate you for reaching out, and it was a good chat. Absolutely. Thanks, John. I appreciate it as well. So, so Jay, Jay, as I mentioned earlier, is the Senior Director of Product Management for Trimble's Enterprise Business. He's been our guest here today on Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep can be found on all of the major platforms. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts. You can find us on Apple. You name it, we're probably there. I've been your host, John Kingston. Please join us again.